Father God, as we exclaim these words of lifting your name high, and has been spoken here that, that we would just come into your presence. Let all the worries, let all the control, let all the baggage, let all the circumstances just fall to our feet like broken chains and release your people. Release your people for what you would have for them, the dreams, the desires, the aspirations, but also for what you are calling us to, to be a people of love, to be a people of faith, to be a people of hope. Holy Spirit, that you would come upon this place, that you would set a fire, to set a fire ablaze, giving new dreams, new aspirations, new passions, or maybe rekindle those that feel like they're dead, but there are still there is still a flame to be had. Let us lay down at your feet all of these things because you are a good, good father who wants to give us good, good gifts. Allow this to be true in our hearts that we can believe it. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and the power and authority by his death, resurrection, and ascension. And all of God's people said, Amen. So one of the things about me is that what some people would classify as a life learner. I'm a sponge. I just love to learn, to be challenged, to see things different perspective, to look at things that maybe I haven't seen before. There's this whole concept of you don't know what you don't know. And I love not only being on staff in this church, but I love being able to be a part of this church. The amazing people that we have in the community groups, but even the people who stand on the stage and communicate, there's always something that challenges me or brings new light to something or God reveals something. And I just... I'm so encouraged. Isn't it amazing the people that stand here and feed us and thinking about Martin and everything that he brings week after week? Can we just, can we just thank God for the people that we have in this church? Yes. But also, in the stage of life that I am in, I have an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and 12 weeks. I don't know if I got that right. Um, and so it's almost like, you know, we're back in that baby stage and it's, it can be really hard to find that balance and, you know, passionately about what's going on and God is doing in this church. And so balancing that with family life and going home and being with my kids and spending that time and as well in the mornings and being able to, to set aside time to be able to be with God and be able to, to, to have that relationship with him and to feed me and him to pour into me what he would want. And so it can be hard sometimes to find time and space to be able to challenge myself outside of some of those important things in my life. And so I actually have a 20-minute commute both ways from going to the office and going back. And then there's other moments where you're going to meetings and things like that. And so I love, love audiobooks and podcasts. It's this amazing time where I am in a car and maybe distracting myself, being frustrated from the other drivers that are on the road. I was saying this to Martin that I'm, this is 
this is just a freebie. I was saying this to Martin this week that I'm generally a very patient person. I'm, I'm pretty even keel, cool cucumber, don't get phased until I get behind the wheel of a car. <laughs> and maybe that's God's way of growing me, I don't know, but uh, my French Canadian comes out and I get really frustrated. So it's good to have something that is maybe challenging me in that and focusing on that. And so I just love audiobooks, I love podcasts. And so I, I have probably about a list of 100 podcasts that I peruse and see different topics that I want to get from personal development and professional development, maybe digging deeper into the Bible or hearing stories of people's lives. Or One of the things that I really love going is, is organizational things or productivity or, you know, and thinking about what, you know, my role is here in the church and how we can see those cogwheels and the different puzzle pieces. And I just love hearing what other organizations are doing, what other leaders are doing or what other churches are doing and, and kind of seeing some of that behind the scenes. And one of my even most favorite is, is this idea of startups. I love the idea of hearing the story of how a company can start from nothing, go through these trials and, and tribulations in a sense of words and be able to break through and see new successes. But what's the story behind the story? You know, and as somebody who spent a good amount of, of years before getting into ministry in the marketplace, there's that part of me that still just loves to see how something ticks. You know, I was that kid growing up that liked to take things apart and see how it works. Now, I wasn't always the best at putting it back together and probably frustrated my parents beyond no end, but I want to know how things work. And so I love hearing those stories about these businesses. And I was just recently, a, lot, a couple of weeks as I was preparing for this message, and I came across this story from a company, and I'm going to butcher it, so I'm going to look at it here. It's uh, Death Wish Coffee. Now, when you hear that name, like, who's ready to go out and get Death Wish Coffee? Oh, okay, we've got a few. Real, the real coffee, the coffee lovers out here knowing, you know, that, 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 that really good, strong, dark cup of coffee, right? And so you start off in your morning and you want that. And so Death Wish Coffee, the, the founder of this, wanted to start this, the next Starbucks. I mean, you always hear this in the biz world, we're going to be the next Google or the next Starbucks. And you have this dream in mind and, well, you need a plan to actually accomplish that. And so he was, he was pushing the rock up the hill. And he was trying to figure that out, and he was, he had his restaurant, and then in, in the storefront had like, it, it was, he didn't know what he was really at the time, and he had, you know, 100 different variations of candy, and they had, I think, 20-some different variations of coffee, and they're trying these different things, and trying to do everything for everybody, trying to gather all these customers. And then one day, this truck driver came in, and he had, he started noticing that he started getting these really rough, blue-collar, just every American man type of coming in. And he came in, this truck driver, and said, I want your strongest and your darkest coffee you've got. Now, if you know anything about coffee, the darker it is, actually, the less caffeine it is. And so the guy doesn't even know what he's asking for. But as he started interacting with these customers, these truck drivers, these construction workers, he started to realize what these guys were really looking for as they needed something strong and something rugged like them so they could go and basically work themselves to death, right? They were just needing that boost to be able to get their job done. And it clicked in him one day. I'm trying to do, I'm trying to compete with Starbucks. I'm trying to compete with all these other companies and doing these artisan coffees and, and all this sort of things. And he started giving this clientele that started getting and they're just needing a good, strong cup of coffee. If you know anything about coffee, there's actually two different types of beans. The main one that you see that actually um, has um, a, a different 
um, taste to it that you would see in an artisan coffee is what we usually have. And then you have this other one that is, is super strong and super bitter. And it is like injected, I think, with like an enormous amount of caffeine. And so he went against the trend, against what the principles, the best practices, because he started seeing this niche market of this clientele that he wanted to reach. And so he got rid of all of the other clutter, all of the different things, and and he started actually just focusing on this one idea and this death by, sorry, death, oh man, see, I already butchered it again. Death Wish Coffee, so I'm getting it overcomplicated. And the branding on this is just like, it's basically a skull and bones, black package, and you want a strong cup of coffee, come to us. And he built his entire company around this. Everybody else thought he was crazy, using the wrong beans, you're in the wrong trends, you're doing everything wrong. But he saw something that nobody else did, and he laser-focused in getting that done. And here's what's more interesting about this. Because of the clientele he was trying to reach, because he became laser-focused, he actually dipped into a market that he didn't have to compete with Starbucks. Didn't have to create the artisan, the the look, all things like that. He could focus his culture around something that is going to reach a people. And he almost, in a lot of senses, this company became so big because they had an unfair advantage. He had tapped into something that nobody else was reaching. And instead of trying to compete and do all of this hard work to compete with Starbucks, he decided to go in a complete other direction. That actually, in a lot of sense, in creating the perfect cup of coffee, he was just able to create the darkest and the strongest and build everything around that. And in the business world, when you, as a company, find an unfair advantage you wouldn't choose to ignore that advantage and fight fair. You wouldn't do it. You wouldn't go around and say, hey, I found the secret of business. I found this whole entire demographic that nobody is reaching. I can do 10 times, 20 times, 30 times the less amount of the marketing and the work and creating that coffee, and we're making millions. You wouldn't go, you know what? That's not fair. That's not fair to Starbucks. I'm just going to follow their model. I'm just going to do it there so we can at least, we can play nice. No, if we put up the main title slide, they chose not to fight fair. And because of that, they found that unfair advantage. They found that niche. They found that laser focus in their company. They were able to find success. And I say this story because in the same way in life, God has made a way, laser focus, that we in the same way don't need to fight fair. And, and, and here's what's been on my heart as I was preparing for this message, and I, I think I say this every single time, I'm going to say it again, that one of the advantages of not being the week-to-week communicator is I get to spend some time on one of these messages and really start drilling in and going, God, what, what do you want for me? to say to this church. And the thing that kept coming to me over the weeks and the months is that for some of you sitting in this chair, you are striving and working and you are trying to push that boulder up that hill in your life and in your family and in your work and in your relationship with God. And the reality is is that there is an unfair advantage that has been given to us that we don't need to fight fair. That there is a laser focus. There is a secret sauce in the midst of this. And I want to just share a little bit of what that could mean for your life 
so that you could get an alignment, thinking about what Martin shared about in his last message here, getting in an alignment of what God is doing so that you can get in the groove and have the unfair advantage, is what Jesus says in the Gospels, that you would follow the unhindered rhythms of grace that he says. Wouldn't that be amazing in your life to be able to get in alignment with what God is wanting to do, that you could find the unhindered rhythms of grace? Instead of forcing yourself up against this wall, trying to break through, and God's like, there's a door right beside you if you just see this. And as I'm saying this, and, and, and I'm, I'm gonna, just going to say this before we keep going, God's reminding me of a story we were praying for an intern in our church and had a similar um, struggles he was going in life. And this image came to my mind and it was echoed by somebody else praying with him. And this was the image. And I feel like he's saying that some of you, this will resonate to you. And the image was, he was this little boy and he is reaching up and looking up into the sky. And there's this tree up there and there's this apple and he's trying to reach. And he's trying to reach and he's trying to reach and he can't reach it. And God comes along as his father and goes beside him. And what's interesting in this picture is that he's reaching up, but right beside him is this ladder. Right beside him is this ladder. And he's reaching and he's singing, I just, if I could just get that apple. And everything he needs has already been given to him. This ladder is sitting here, but because his focus is in the wrong place, thinking about what Daring spoke last week, this perspective is in the wrong place. That he doesn't see the, the things that are before him. But this is, this is the kicker of this vision that we got. God the Father doesn't come along and go smack him across the head and say, you idiot, there's a freaking ladder right beside you. No, that's not what happens in this vision. God the Father picks him up and lifts him to get the apple. This is the heart of the Father. This is what God wants for us, that when we're striving, that a lot of the times what happens is not that we need to work harder, but we need to find the unfair advantage and the path, the alignment, focusing our perspective in the right places to be able to see what God wants to do for us. So before we jump into these two things, if, if, if you are not here for the message series, Living in Alignment, there is some soul work, some prep work that I think you might need to go back, or maybe you did listen to that message series, and you need to go back and listen to it again. Because maybe the problem isn't that you're not getting the goal that you need, but you're not in a line with what God has for you when you get into that sweet spot. And maybe you need to go back and listen to last week's message after that because maybe the reason why you can't get an alignment is because your focus and perspective is looking in the wrong places. But for today... What does it mean to have that unfair advantage? What does it mean to not fight fair in the same way that death wish coffee chose not to fight fair? You don't either. So the first is this. We don't fight fair because of who leads us. Look at what it says in the Gospels, the story of the centurion. We read these things. So Jesus went with them. But just before he arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself in coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such honor. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do that. 
When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I have, haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. So the context of the story is he gets word that this officer, this centurion has a servant that needs healing and he goes and comes and Jesus, if you just come. But before he could even get there, the centurion says, don't even bother because I know the power of your word. I know the authority that you have. All you need to do is say the word and it will happen. And the, and the reason why he knows this is because he lives, he's a military man. He lives a military life. He lives inside of a structure that says, when my superiors say, go, we go. We don't question. We just go. I have soldiers underneath my command. It's the same thing. Because of all of the information that I know that I am leading them, when I give a command, they go. And then Jesus says this very interesting words. He says, I have not seen faith like this anywhere in all of the nation of Israel. Because of the simplicity of it. Just say the word. Just say the word. See, he almost had like what Jesus says is a childlike faith. There's no reservation in his mind. Not one. In the book of James it says, you know, whoever is lacking wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all because he will give to everyone without finding fault. But he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. See, doubt is this really tricky thing. Because when it creeps in and the worries and the situations and you may be certain and it's been revealed to you or you're falling in line with what God's plan is for you and when that doubt comes in. Because the reality is, is that all of the forces that are working against what God wants in your life does not want you to align with what God wants for your life. And so what faith does is it creates a laser focus on what God is calling you to. Now let me, let me be very clear what I just said. Faith is a laser focus, singular intent, but the caveat is in what God is calling you to. So a lot of the times when we have issues of faith or moving or seeing that alignment or moving that bowler forward or not getting the breakthroughs we're having, sometimes it's because our focus is all in the wrong places. We're not focusing that laser focus, that singular intent, that complete, um, just, I was, um, was going to say disdain, but that's not the right word. That, but we'll just leave it with that, that laser focus, that almost audacity to say, no matter what, this is where I'm headed. But if you are laser focused on the things that God is not calling you to, you're just going to find yourself stumbling over and over. Funny enough, Martin did an entire message on that one. And again, if you need a reminder of that, to go back to that message series. But let me give you an example of this. And why it's not only about our laser focus, but about who is leading us, about Jesus Christ. When I was in college, I'm, I'm a military kid. I consider going in the military myself and realize that that wasn't God's call in my life. And, but as a, as a college student, I was still very intrigued by the idea of military structure. Growing up in the military, traveling around this idea. And what I did was I did a paper on this idea of, of servant leadership. You know, and you think about the idea of, of servant leadership and the military and a guy yelling, you know, 
couple of inches away from your face, you think that these things wouldn't go hand in hand. You know, total autonomy, totalitarian authority, don't question my orders, and then servant leadership. And so I thought, you know, I, I want to look at this idea and see if there's a correlation between the two of them. And as I did studies and looking into different characteristics, I landed on the idea of a submarine captain. Now, to think about the most, the craziest idea, maybe other than like jet pilots, would be a bunch of people getting into a submarine, diving down into the depths of the ocean, and then trying to maneuver solely on sound. Like, you're insane, right? Now imagine yourself being the captain of that submarine, and every single person relies on your command. Now, if you are a Navy officer or serviceman in that, and you don't feel like the captain has your best interests in mind, you might think to second guess what his command is. But if you know that that captain has the best interests of his men and women in mind, you'll walk off a cliff for that guy. If you know that that submarine captain, that his first and foremost goal is to get every single man and woman under his command home safely, despite if he makes it home safely, you'll walk off a cliff for that man. That right there is servant leadership. Though his word is authority because he is the highest ranking person on that vessel, his goal in everything isn't about himself. We get that same analogy inside of the story of the centurion. He understood the authority and the person that Jesus was. The perfect servant leader. That his word was true. His word was authority. But he also knew the heart. He said, I know that if I ask Jesus, that I'm not going to get duped by this. And that same idea, knowing men and people above his command and his own heart for his own men, the centurion, we see that in Jesus. This is an amazing passage in Philippians 2. It says, Christ being our very example, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Didn't stay up here, I'm God, you're not. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And when he found himself in human likeness, he humbled himself even to the point of death. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we can have a laser focus of faith because we know who is leading us, has the best intentions. But here's the thing. That's not where the story ends. The story, three days later, he rises and then he ascends to heaven and says, all authority and power has been given to me. So we know the God that we serve is a God that has our best intentions in leading us, but he is also the person who has all the power and authority to do a work in our life that he wishes for us. So when we have that laser focus, it's a laser singular focus on what God wants for us. And when that happens, this is the unfair advantage that we get. It's this. We go to the next slide. Faith gives us an unfair advantage so we can fight with our hands unbound. Maybe that's what you're feeling today. This sounds all great, but I feel like this. This is my life right now. That I am chained up, that I am bound up, and I have no mobility. 
I don't know where up, down, I can barely breathe. Every situation gives me an anxiety attack. What God wants in our life is to break those chains. And a part of that is finding ourselves to be laser focused in alignment with that faith. And we're going to have an opportunity at the end of the service for many of you to receive moving from this to this. And what faith does isn't this magic bullet. See, God isn't some vending machine up that if we just say the right things, I'll get the things that I want. No, it starts with God's purpose in our life. And when we align with that, faith becomes the fuel, becomes the engine that moves us forward so that we can walk our life unhindered, unbound, the handcuffs taken off, so that in that moment now we have the faith, the authority, and the power to go out and do what God is asking us to do. Jesus said, I don't speak anything or I don't do anything to the God. God, the Father, doesn't tell me to speak or where to go and what to say. Wouldn't it be amazing to be in that place where both you're unbound, but also because you're so laser-focused and aligned with what God wants, that wherever you go, you're carrying that faith and that love and that hope that will impact the world. Think about it like this, and it, and it all starts up here. Um, my mom, um, she just, I'm not going to tell you how old she is. That's just rude. But she just celebrated her birthday yesterday. Yeah, let's... And my mom grew up with two sets of twins as older siblings. She had two older brothers and an older brother and sister, and they were two different sets of twins. And she's the only one that isn't a twin, and I'm still convinced at some point I'm going to run into some lady somewhere that's going to look just like my mom and go, wait a second. But her two older brothers are Lynn and Lauren. And what's interesting about these two is that even though they were twins, in a lot of ways they, they had a lot of similarities, obviously, but there's a lot of differences in them. Now, Lynn, Lynn should be dead five to ten times over. He's broken his back. He slipped on the stairs and smashed his head. He was buried alive twice with a multitude of other things. I know you're going to wonder about that story, so I'm just going to put it right now. He was a truck driver. In one of the seasons, he was driving gravel, and as he was unloading the load, the, the, the gate snapped open, and all of the gravel started to bury him. And all the guys in the yard started coming around and getting more guys. Let's dig him out, dig him out, trying to go up. And the truck was in the way. He said, move the truck, move the truck. And as the truck moved, more gravel came out on him, and they were burying him out and burying him out. And they finally got him out, and he didn't die in that moment. But there were so many times that Lynn should be dead today. And his twin brother, who lived a pretty normal and quiet life, was inflicted by a physical ailment. And in his last hours, when he passed away in the hospital, the doctor said he just stopped fighting. I don't know if it was he gave up. I don't know exactly all the details of that, but he stopped fighting. Can I just encourage you guys this morning? Don't stop fighting. Don't stop fighting. It's all up in here. The doubts, the things, the things that want to keep you bound, they want you to stop fighting. But here's a trick. For some of us, it's because we might be fighting the wrong way. Again, our perspective. See, all of this isn't accomplished through brute force or fighting fire with fire because the battle has already been won. So here's the other unfair advantage. We don't fight fair because 
We don't fight at all. Go to the next slide. We don't fight fair because we don't fight at all. Not in the sense that you might think, getting all worked up. All these things coming at you, all of this frustration, all this anxiety, all of this anger, all of this violence. Therefore, if, I, if this is coming at me, I need to return in folds over and over. No, that is not how the Bible talks about what this cosmic battle is all about, what this human experiment is all about. No, 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 we don't fight fire with fire. God has given us something so much better. And that's what it says in James 4. He says, we don't, sorry, yeah, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. And he says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Double-minded, not laser-focused. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. We'll get into that last section because it's probably one of the most depressing sections of Scripture in the New Testament. But before we get there, look what he says. Humble yourselves before God. Don't view yourself too highly or too lowly. Just simply just come in alignment with what God wants. Then notice this. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It doesn't say get fighting. When the enemy, when all the things in the world are coming your way, you need to get the, get the fists up. Get angry. No, no, that's not what he says. Over and over in the New Testament, it says stand firm in the truth that you know about yourself. Stand firm. Resist. When they say, no, 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 wait a second. No, what? That doubt that came into my mind, that lie about myself, that situation that is tormenting, the thing that has knocked me off course and what God, I feel that God wants from my... No, 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 no. Resist. Stand firm. You've got nothing on me. I said this analogy before, and I'm going to use it again to help you. Imagine you're living in an apartment building with an abusive landlord. He gives you nothing. All the stuff is breaking your house, doesn't fix anything, and he keeps raising the rent, right? And then all of a sudden, this new landlord comes up, and he buys up the building. He fixes everything up. Not only that, he starts fixing the neighborhood all around it. But the old landlord, for some reason, is continually going around every room, knocking at doors, demanding on rent. You have a choice here. You can go, oh, yeah, it's my old landlord. Here's your rent. Or you can go, whoa, 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 whoa wait a second. You, you, don't, you don't own the building. Why are you asking rent for me? You're not the landlord. A lot of times what we find ourselves is we do exactly that. We go through these, these routines, even though God, through Jesus Christ, has bought the apartment building, the world. He is setting things right. He's moving his people. Hope is moving forward. But we put our attention and our focus on the hopelessness instead of the hope. On the problem instead of the promise. So where's that laser focus? You don't have to fight because you don't have to fight at all. Let me encourage you this way. I just said at the beginning of this that um, we have a brand new baby. His name is Bennett. And I was reminded this, and God was ministering to me in this moment of recognizing. I was holding him, and he was, he was fast asleep, and he was completely calm. And God was just like, this is my heart for you. At no point is Bennett concerned, anxious, worried. He is completely at peace because he knows who is holding him. He's not worried that I'm going to drop him. 
I haven't dropped them, so don't worry. <laughs> might second that after if I drop him, but he's not worried that I'm going to drop him because I'm holding him and he is secure. The Bible says this over and over again. It gives us human imagery about a father, a mother, a person, and he says, how much more than your, it talks about your heavenly father. How much did I love this little person? You, you just, if you're not a parent, you don't understand this, right? But you hold this and you're just like, I don't, I didn't even, I can't even, couldn't have fathom the amount of love that I could have for a singular human being. And that's the love that God has for us, that he holds us there and we don't need to worry. My question is, can you trust God like this? See, as God's children, we don't need to fight fair for two reasons. Because God is holding us. It says, the Bible says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is this, read, my encouragement to you if you're struggling with this is, is read Romans 8 over and over and over. And if that's what you need to realign and laser focus what God wants in your life, go to Romans 8. Read that chapter over and over and over because there is this sense of God's love holding us in the midst of all these things. But there's also this, that we are more than conquerors. Not conquerors, more than conquerors. I don't even, I, I'm saying these words and I'm not even sure what that at all exactly means, but God, that, that Paul is using these language of exasperating that we are more than conquerors. If you have this small view that your faith can only see this, God's like, I have so much more. And the battle has already been won. And, and here's where this alignment happens. We don't have to fight fair. We have this unfair advantage, if you go to the next slide. This unfair advantage because of this unhindered relationship with the Father and with others, with Him. We have this, if you look in the front of our sign and you go out, if you've never seen this, we've got this giant sign when you drive out. Love God, love people, love life. Love God, love people, love life. It's a simple statement. But it is a thing that drives so much, if not everything, about this church. That we love God, love people, and love life. To get in alignment of that, what God wants in our life. But here's, here's the thing. God holds us since we're children, but because we're his children, we also get all of the rights and all of the authority that God has for us. So there's this imagery that Jesus ascends to the throne, he becomes the king of kings and lord of lords, all power and authority has been given to him. But there's also this other imagery that happens in the later parts of the New Testament and the book of Revelation that we are seated with Christ. So there's this dual imagery that Jesus has ascended that, but because he is a man, he also gives us a pathway that we sit with him, that we have that same access to that same power and that same authority. So when that landlord comes around demanding rent or that wants to torment you, wants you to put you back into that old life, you don't need to fight him. You can just simply say, you've got no rights here. You've got no rights. Nothing. That is faith. I stand firm. I resist the devil, we go back to that verse, resist the devil and flee from him, but 
Here's the kicker. It's not just about constant resisting the negative things in our life. We must also come near to God, and he will come near to us. He already has something that he wants us to align with. We need to get into that. And when we find ourselves in this place, all the things we just talked about, when we're in this perfect space, laser focus, God's love, our proper understanding of who we are in him, as children, all of that negativity that we're, we're resisting those things, we're saying he's got nothing on us, we're, we're reminding ourselves and, and having a proper understanding about who God is, who we are, proper understanding of the world, proper understanding of focus in our heart and our passions, walking alongside, being unhindered, all of that things, we don't have to fight fair anymore. That's it. The unhindered rhythms of grace. Now here's the kicker though. That's not something that you just walk into and then you're like, I'm good. Never have to think about it again. That is something that is on an everyday where you wake up, you go, what clothes am I putting on? Am I putting on the old clothes? The dirty rags, the past, all that stuff, all the rejection, all of the hurt, all the sins that I did, all of the negative identity, the things that have been spoken over me, all of the different lingo and things that I understand about myself and the world and God, or do I choose to focus every day, continually putting my perspective on him, getting in alignment with what he wants, and allowing him to clothe me. Mitch says something in worship where he says, you know, we're not having to work ourselves to come alive. That's, that's it. That's the unfair advantage right there. We don't have to work ourselves to come alive. We just need to say, God, where are you wanting me to be? Where can I receive that life? And then, you find it, and you go, I ain't leaving. Why would I go out there? I know what that was like. I'm free. I've got life. I'm alive. Why would I leave this place? Every day, you wake up and think that. And here, here's, here is a stepping stone for you, for you guys. If you look at that passage, it says one of probably the most depressing passages. Been on this journey when talking about soul care and different, you know, Martin talked about it in the alignment series about these fault lines in our life. You know, as we're doing this, you know, this passage makes a whole lot more sense to me. There needs, for, for some of, well, all of us, really, but for some of you, especially in this season in your life, you're looking for that, I need to come alive, I want to love God, love people, love life, yes, 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 but there's this stuff that needs to be dealt with, these fault lines in our life, or as the author of the book, Soul Care, Rob Reamer, he says it's like a suitcase. I think mean, he's the first person to use the analogy, but... And we need to open the suitcase. And we want God to put all this good stuff in our suitcase. But if our suitcase is full of the junk in our life, we need to do some business first. And not on our own, but through the power. Like I said, we don't bring ourselves alive. But God comes in and takes that stuff out. I got it. I got it. No, no, no. Let it go. I know it's in your suitcase. I know you're holding on. It might even be a safety blanket for you, but that safety blanket is keeping you tethered down and bound. Let me take it out. Let me empty all the garbage in your suitcase so that I can put these good things in. And so when you read these passages, maybe it's something you've done, a sin issue, something you've done to somebody else that's been undealt with, you've been holding on, has been eating you up inside. Maybe you don't even realize it, and you need to start spending some time with God so he can reveal those things. Maybe some things have been done to you, but the whole point is that sometimes you go through the fire of life, not because so much that God's like, I want to punish you, but you're going through these things because it's going to bring you to the place that you need to be. There's this passage in 
I don't know if it's first or second Peter talking about refiner's fire. And there's an old worship song with it, refiner's fire, you're praying. You know, what, you know what you're singing when you say refiner's fire, when you pray that? That I can go through the fire so it can get rid of all of the impurities, the undivine things in my life. Well, that imagery is there very intentionally because going through fire is not a pleasant thing. And maybe you're going through an unpleasant life, but it's going to bring and bring awareness to the fault lines that Martin talked about, the earthquakes that are happening. Bring attention to those things so that you can deal with them. And so when God, when, uh, sorry, James in this book is saying, you know, come near to God, but some of you need to do business where you need to deal with the undealt with grief in your life, the trauma that happened to you, the thing that you did to somebody else or maybe just the secret sins in your life. One of the most powerful things you can do is sharing. Some of you trust I'm not saying people get up right now and just start blurting all of your secret sins. We're not doing that today, don't worry. Everyone's like, whew. But bringing it out into the light. It's one of the scariest things you can do, but one of the most powerful things you can do in your life. So what does this mean for your lives in that gateway? Well, what this means, and I think we've, we've said this for yourselves, is going... Living in the place and the laser focus of what God would have for you to love God, love people, and love life. But also, what does this mean for Gateway? Martin talked earlier in the interview about partnership. What would happen if we would be released in the fears and anxiety of our life and what is going on, but also having this laser focus, faith and understanding when he speaks, I go, that this authority and this power being unbound. What if this church could be unbound to do the work that God has for this city? We got one person who's excited about that. And in two weeks' time, Martin's going to be on this stage. And I'm excited about it because you have, like, just the things that are happening underneath the surface that we're going to be able to pop open the lid for you guys to hear and experience. I know that we're going to be excited for the next season that we're going into. But it will not happen unless people walk into that in a sense of unalignment, to be aligned with God and be unbound, but having a faith and also partnering in that. Martin talked about this morning, he's going to talk about it on stage on the, on the 18th, about this vision offering and us getting together. The thing is, is that when a group of people can all get aligned with what God wants, and we synergize together, nothing can stop that. that the gates of Hades will not hold back the church. So my challenge for you, first and foremost, is to do business with God as an individual. Get into your quiet place. Figure out whatever it is that you need to do to just receive from God. Not trying, but just, God, what would you have for me? What do you want to reveal to me? What do I need to bring out to the light? What do I need to deal with? What am I missing? What am I not seeing? What am I believing that are lies, but also outside of ourselves? Where am I lacking? Am I walking out in this faith? What is a gift that you've given me that I am keeping hidden, that I am not using? Where are the areas that I need to just pull in and believe that I can let go and see God work into this place? And Martin even challenged too to prayerfully consider, what is my contribution? How am I going to see the mission of God affect into this room and these people, this city, this province, this country, and this world? Because here's the thing. I was listening to it in this way that 
When it comes to church, and I'm, I'm, I'm the executive pastor, so I'm sorry, I'm going to talk about money. But when you look at an organization, something like World Vision, that there's this universal kind of idea that people outside of it can get behind and do that. But here's the thing. Nobody outside of this church is going to make the vision and mission that God has placed upon this church happen. It relies on us. It relies on our prayers. It relies on our faith. It relies on our attendance, our passions, our excitement, our gifts, our service, and yes, our finances. And I, I, I say all those things because it's all kind of one package. Where's your heart at? Jesus says, where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be. And it's all together, just one big package, but maybe for some of you, so some of you, maybe it's not the finances, maybe it's giving, maybe it's just your headspace, maybe it's just simply saying, you know what, I am dedicating to coming to this church every single Sunday, because right now what I need is to receive from God, but I need to be here, I need to be with my people, and that's the step you need to do. Or maybe for some of you, it is all the other side of like, you know, I've been holding back, I'm at that 99%, and I need to go that 100, I need to go all in. If you're feeling convicted right now, let me just share a little secret. I can't, I can't even see you guys, really. So this, if you feel like this is coming right to you right now, it's probably not. Don't blame me. That's just what I'm saying. It's not me. I'm just, if you're feeling guilty or convicted, it's not me. That might be something internally you need to deal with, or that might be God saying it's time to step up. So I'm going to invite um, the worship team to come up, and I'm going to invite the ushers to get ready. We're going to be taking communion this morning. And if, if you are new to church and this is a new thing for you, and let me just help align this, pun intended, with what we've just been talking about. It's in a lot of ways, Jesus, when he got to the disciples, he said, this is my blood, this is spilled for you, this is my body, this is broken for you. These are imageries about what Jesus accomplished on the cross, the story of Easter, well, the story really of Christmas to Easter. Him coming to earth, becoming one of us, living a perfect life, bringing heaven to earth. And when he comes on the cross, he takes all of the violence and the negativity and the hopelessness and he brings upon himself. And when he dies, it dies with him and he brings it to the grave. But we have this amazing tendency of digging up what Jesus has already put into the grave. The battle has already been won. The question is, do you believe it? And for some of you, the answer is no. There's this, 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 this thing when you're praying for somebody and you ask them, and said, I want you to repeat after me. I reject the lie, fill in the blank. Do you believe that? And it's no. And it's like, we are going to keep praying this until it sinks in because the battle is won or lost right up here. We can start passing out the elements. Do you believe that the battle has been won? Remembrance Day is in a week. And there's this amazing analogy about D-Day and V-Day that the allies come onto the beaches of Normandy. And it's in this battle, in this moment of history, that if the allies wouldn't have taken that beach, the historians would say probably the Nazis would have won. What in a crazy world this would have been if that would have happened. But the allies, after taking that critical position, they continue to fight on until there is surrender. This is where we're living in between D-Day and V-Day. 
It's not that we have to work up or fight the darkness back. That has already happened. The war is already over. But we are needing to fight until we see V-Day when all of hopelessness is gone. All the darkness is gone. In our own lives in this world where we can truly and ultimately say that I love God, love people, and love life. So this could be our prayer for you. We're going to have the prayer team in a bit come up. And if you need some special ministering to, there's going to be an opportunity for that. But we are going to worship for a bit. I'm going to come back up. Don't take the elements yet. But I'm going to pray over you for this reality of faith and intimacy. So you put up the, the last slide. Intimacy and faith go hand in hand. Intimacy and faith go hand in hand. Our faith a believing, but our relationship and intimacy with our Heavenly Father go hand in hand. See, faith without intimacy misses the point. It's not about what we can get from God. It's not about what we can push or, or struggle or move forward. It's about who we're released to be in relationship with, with God and with others, and seeing hope into this world. That's the point. Freedom. Freedom so that we can see freedom move forward. Hope so we can see hope move forward. Love and faith. But here's the thing, intimacy without faith misses the potential. If you know God's love, but you are not going to walk out in confidence and faith, you might miss what God might want to do in your life and what God wants to do in our city, our church, our country, and this world. Wouldn't it be amazing if that could be unleashed? And I believe, I believe that we will see a taste of this. I believe that there will be an unleashing on Vision Sunday you're thinking about missing that service, oh, don't do it. Two weeks time, there's going to be something unleashed in a good way. Let's just worship. I'm going to come back up and we are going to receive what God would have for us.
But as, these, as we're done taking these elements and the band closes the service, the prayer team is going to come up front here. And if God is calling you, you need prayer for anything. There are circumstances in your life. You need to break the lies in your life that you come up and you do business because this could be the turning point. This could be your D-Day in your life where you can start walking unbound and free moving forward. Holy Spirit, just come upon this place. Father God, just reveal your endless and unhindered love upon every single person. Reveal, Jesus, yourself in these elements and the true sacrifice, but also the power and authority of what these represent for our lives in this world. So as we take these, and we don't take them flippantly, but as we take them, that there is a renewing in our mind, realizing that there is so much more for us in this world. That you didn't die 2,000 years ago so we could do some traditional thing go through the motions in life and you died 2,000 years ago, you left that junk down there, you raised from the grave, you ascended and you are sitting confidently, not anxious, because your power is moving. I pray your work upon every person in this life. Break the chains. Break the chains. Break the chains. Take the junk out of the other suitcases and start to fill up with your love, hope, and yes, your faith for every single one of our lives. We pray this in the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So as you take these elements, if you need to take your time, do it. But know that as you take them, that this is a promise over you for that relationship with God, that intimacy with God, that you are a child of God, but also you have the faith to walk it out. And as we close, we have the prayer team to come up. And if you would like to have hands laid on you and be prayed for, to be released, to take the chains away, or if you have physical ailment, whatever it is, if God is prompting you, do some business today.